Welcome to The Station, a podcast by the Arkansas Business Engine. I am Ty King. With me are my colleagues, Whitney Hickerson. Hello. She says hello. And Felicia. Hi. She says hi. And with us today, we have a special guest. Uh, she is a nutritionist, a physiologist, a specialist in a lot of different things, but also the author of By Improving Ours. It is Brittany Allman. Brittany, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, because I've been looking at your credentials, and there's a lot of words in there I don't understand. So <laughs> we just need you to explain a lot of this. Oh, gosh. So I guess I'll start up. First off, I'm a postdoctoral fellow. That's my my main gig. I wear many hats. But as a postdoctoral fellow, I do research in exercise physiology and nutrition. And I work at the Arkansas Children's Nutrition Center within the um, Research Institute. And so we're right down the street from the Children's Hospital. And I do a whole lot of research with pregnant women and with adolescents. So... Um, yeah, my degree, I guess we'll start there. My degrees, I have a master's in exercise physiology, clinical exercise physiology, where we looked at a whole lot of cardiovascular stuff with diet. And then um, after my master's, I wanted to do more sports nutrition and performance-related research. And so I went down to Florida State University, and I got my PhD with Michael Ormsby. He does incredible work with athletes, but also clinical populations and the translation between um, what we typically do with the athletes in terms of training and nutrition and how that can translate to people like uh, obese individuals or with cardiovascular diseases. And so I was trained in um, how to use exercise, specifically resistance exercise and dietary optimization, specifically dietary protein intake, and how that relates to women's ability to both release fat, which is called lipolysis, and also oxidize fat, which is burning the fat after you release it from your fat cells. And so that primed me with my PhD to then pursue uh, what's called a postdoctoral fellowship. So it's training that you get after your PhD that'll better suit you for an academic role. So whether that's um, an instructor or an assistant professor, things like that. Um, so now I'm here in Arkansas. I never thought I would be in Arkansas, but I'm here and I'm loving it. I've been here for two years. And like I mentioned, I work at the Arkansas Children's Nutrition Center and our clinic is incredible. We have, I think like 11 or 12 large-scale ongoing clinical research studies that have anywhere from 100 to 300 either pregnant women or children with a whole spectrum of disorders and diseases. And I specifically work with two studies, the one being um, dealing with how maternal obesity relates to offspring metabolism, and the other one being how then exercise um, in mom that's obese can impact the maternal or uh, offspring metabolism. So that's what I do on a research level. And then outside of research, I've also been really, really involved in exercise. So for the longest time, I mean, back to my undergrad degree, I've been involved in fitness and I started my fitness journey where everybody starts their fitness journey at the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that was great. I, I did things like the biggest loser when you could still call it the biggest loser. And now it's like, you can't do that anymore. And personal training. And then that morphed into getting certified in different group fitness, um, 
areas like Les Mills. And um, then from there, I got involved in Orange Theory Fitness. And Orange Theory, I've been in Orange Theory for over five years. And this is a group fitness class where we do high-intensity interval training and we're monitoring your heart rate the entire time. And um, it's personalized. So the idea is that we have a, a personal training touch in a group fitness environment. So it's really personal. You'll probably hear your name multiple times throughout the class and get adjusted throughout the class. Um, so I've been there for over five years and I also teach yoga at a couple places. Um, but yeah, that's my research and fitness. In, that's awesome. In and I'm sure there's some overlap there where you're doing research and you find out something new. Is there a time where you find out new information and it changes how you teach your other classes like yoga or oh, yeah. uh, any other physical classes? You know, so it like changes how you how you teach yeah. because you've got new information. Yeah, absolutely. And I, in fact, I think that's what sets me apart as a coach is that I have the knowledge to be able to teach the why behind a lot of what we do mm -hmm. in both Orange Theory and yoga. So biomechanically, we can tell, we can talk about why we're moving our body part in one way and then metabolically, why we're working out this way. Um, so it definitely sets me apart as a coach and I think it amplifies their experience when they're in the class setting. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about your book. So by improving hours. Uh -huh. And so how do you take this knowledge that you you have and, of course, the research that you you have available to you and your, all your experience? Because you've got a lot of, I mean, you're not an old, old, old woman, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but you've got a lot of experience for, for your, the age that you are. And so how do you uh, take that and, and write a book about it? What, I guess what inspired you to write and what is the book about? Yeah, so, and that's a, that's a loaded question. But uh, I guess the, where it started was that I not only have the fitness and research area uh, of strength areas, but I also am uh, a faith-filled woman. I'm chasing after God type of thing. But when I lived when I lived in Florida, our church was super contemporary, and one of their core missions was to help improve the health and wellness of our members. And so we had a ministry that was completely dedicated to fitness and nutrition. And in fact, I taught the nutrition classes, uh, but they had things like yoga, which is unheard of in the South because a lot of you know there's a lot of misconceptions there, which I get to in the book. But uh, <laughs> a lot of those things. Which, which I saw it, it was great, it opened my eyes. And then I moved to Arkansas and I started getting the feeling that the churches that I was going to and my home church didn't necessarily have that in the forefront of their brain. And it's not that they didn't care about that, it's just that when I spoke to a couple people within the church, they mentioned that there was resistance anytime from the members, church members, anytime that they would bring up those type of conversations. So. Uh, it sort of fell to the wayward, and I was struck by that because I think that um, as as God's disciples, we're supposed to have the healthiest body possible, and our body's a temple, and if we don't have the healthiest body possible, we can't carry on the work that he set us here to do. Like if we have so many sick days, or if we you know have some kind of diagnosis that's related to our health, we can't do the work that we're supposed to do. And so... Combining all those areas, the research, the fitness, and then um, my personal conviction with what can I do with this crisis that I saw in the church was to put together a book. And what I also noticed when I was doing all of this is that 
um, in research and in fitness, we tend totally to remove one person from the family. We do an exercise intervention or improve their nutrition. We do something to help them along the way. And then we sort of like set them back out into the wild, into their family. And either we don't care about what happens to them after the study, or we expect them to be able to maintain those behaviors. And, um, it just never works in their favor because they go back into a setting. It's sort of like an alcoholic that goes back into, you know, a bar setting and goes to bartend. Yeah. So they're exposed to all that stuff and you can't just expect them without your constant, um, you know, nudging or education to be able to maintain those behaviors. And so the book is surrounded around the family unit and it's going to help bring together all those areas. Like I said, research and fitness and nutrition and faith um, to better coach the unit together. And so the idea is that mom and dad or whoever caretaker is, um, it's loosely defined, will read two different sections. The one section is research related around the area, whether it's a nutrition area or a fitness area. And then the other section is biblical scripture that's also related to that specific area. And they'll digest all that information and then from there, the last section is that they they basically act as a disciple, which they should be anyway in the family unit, and they teach their kids what they learned, the research and, um, and the biblical part of it, but in a practical way. So they'll have little activities to do together and questions to consider that are, are readable and relatable to a child audience. And, and so... It's my hope that the book will allow them to think about their current behaviors and adjust their behaviors. And there's goal setting in there and there's other ways to tackle. These are my barriers and facilitators, which barriers mean something that's preventing you from doing those good things. Facilitators being the things, the reason that's driving me to do these good things. They'll be able to identify those in each of those sections so that they can in the future have a better plan of attack. To, to help yeah. improve those behaviors. Yeah. One thing that you said kind of struck me as interesting, and this is just kind of a, a tangent, I don't know how relevant it is, but I, I kind of wonder, you know, you're talking about a lot of the, the churches say that, you know, they there's a lot of pushback on nutrition. And I wonder because, and I grew up in Texas and Arkansas, so growing up in like Southern churches, there's so much food culture around Southern churches, you know, like, potluck dinners and you know big sunday dinners after church and food and there's food and fellowship it's kind of like mm-hmm. kind of intertwined and there's so many of these church activities and kind of fellowship and bonding activities within the church that seem to be centered around food and it's usually not healthy it's casseroles and you know fried chicken and like all like potatoes and pie so many pies <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's like and even like in then even some of the more contemporary churches, like there's like coffee and donut bars, you know, in the churches now. And, you know, I think that there's maybe like part of the resistance is kind of like, well, you know, if we start doing all this nutrition stuff, what are we going to do with all this food culture we've created at our church? You know, it's kind of intertwined in a lot of ways. That's how we bond and fellowship with each other is over food a lot of times. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing to consider, especially like you're saying in the South, Uh, We've created that culture as the thing. And what I like to think about when I think about those scenarios is that behavior is a trickle-down effect, especially in the church. And part of the reason that I was so turned off by um, thinking about this concept of those behaviors not being 
in the forefront of the church is that it starts with the lead people. Mm-hmm. And if that is not an ultimate priority of the people in lead, it's not going to trickle down to everybody. And so, um, you know, I want to be careful here, but um, I think if it was a concern, a primary concern, and that was something that we were actively working toward, I think that everything else would reflect that. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that the donuts would be taken off the table, but maybe there would be, you know, education or classes or something, or maybe even just resources, ways, outlets to be able to to learn those different mm-hmm. things. And so, yeah, I think the cultural thing is hard to break, but <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think I think too time. though. I mean. I have, I have this total weird passion. It's like a nerd out for me. When I read the Bible, I underline and then um, in an Excel spreadsheet. It's so bad. You guys are going to laugh at me. <laughs> All, All the right, places right. that food is brought up. And so what I, what I mean to say that I literally have a running tally of the different food sources that are in there and in all the different chapter or uh, books of the Bible. But in nowhere in the Bible is any of this food that we eat. And mm. so in, in practice, back in the day, I mean, we didn't seek those comfort foods. It was bread. It was the purest meats that aren't processed and all this stuff. And so in a certain way, what happens is in, in any other behavior, all the everybody always says refer back to the Bible, refer back to the source. And I'm mm. like, if you're looking at nutrition, <laughs> refer back to the source and you're going to have your answer. I mean, eat things that are clean, eat things that are whole. I'm not saying that I do those things. I mean, I have a pumpkin spice latte in front of me, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you refer back, you're going to see what you should be eating or about what you should be eating at least, you know, on an 80% basis. So so they didn't have green bean casseroles and uh, <laughs> no, the no, fried, no fried chicken. <laughs> there wasn't any. That's what I think of when you, when you talk about nutrition in the church. I'm thinking of like all those potlucks. And it's just know, all these right. ladies bringing in just pots and There's pots and pans of all, all kinds of delicious stuff. Sweet potato uh-uh. And then yeah, the desserts have their own table. You know all right. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. So, yeah, integrating healthy living, wellness into, into church. Like I said, breaking that culture. That's a tough. That's a tough cookie to crack because yeah. I mean it's been going on for you know generations, generation, generation. Mm-hmm. This is how my great grandparents did it. Mm-hmm. They you know they brought in their you know comfort foods and we did that. I said especially in the South. And you said earlier that there are some misconceptions about yoga in the South. And so, uh, what what are a few of those? I'm I'm guessing it goes along with those lines as well. And uh, probably some of the I guess the. Religious energy, yes, the energy points, you know, of yoga yeah. being associated with different uh, alternate religions, you know, that they not may not share belief. And so, what are, what are some of the misconceptions in the South about yoga? Yeah, I mean, just to keep it as simple as possible. Um, so, yoga hat does have religious roots. There mm. is a religious root there, but just like anything else, I mean, even any kind of practice that has a religious root, you can remove it from that. You can divorce that idea. Um, because the way that we work on yoga is you set an intention, let's say, and an intention doesn't necessarily mean I'm, I'm trying to center my practice. If I'm talking about one specific practice, center my practice around some kind of God, it means that I'm centering my practice on something like love or something like that. So you can make the yoga practice yourself. You can divorce it completely from its religious roots. And that's what I do. We don't worship gods. Um, some of the yoga poses are 
would refer to the name of the yoga pose would refer to a specific God, but you can also divorce that idea. But the misconception with the church is that I think first it's lack of education and, um, because they don't know that that's an option really. Uh, yoga is a way to work out really. And it's a way to center yourself. And so you can improve your strength and your endurance and your flexibility. You can also improve your mindfulness. And again, to completely divorce from any kind of religion. And so I think the best practice is education first so that people can change their mind about yeah. yoga. And you don't even have to call it yoga. Some people, the way that I, I've seen it when I look into it is that some people call it um, to like flow or something like that where you just do your own thing and it's basically yoga class without calling it yoga just because of that connotation okay yeah i didn't even realize until fairly recently that there was that strong of a connotation i think i'd heard some stuff a while back but i never really paid attention to it until i've had like a kind of a distant relative on facebook went on this whole thing about it and i was like okay (laughs) i will say it's more of like the conservative type of old yeah older pastor and um, sort of set in their ways and probably not just set in their ways about yoga and other things. So yeah. it's more of a heart thing and softening your heart and opening your mind, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I've, I've been, I guess, around that type of environment, you know what I mean? Uh, within, you know, other religious groups and you know, church, th- church events and things like that. I had a group I used to do yoga with out we go outside and, and do that together, but like, yeah, you hear, you know, they're like, well, that's not, that's not of God. That's not, it's going against, you know, you know your faith. And I was like, well, you're stretching your body. Right. You, you got to take care of it. And it's <laughs> like, because what inspired us to do was because of like the elasticity in your body and like how it sort of calcifies or hardens up over time. And by the time you're you know, 60, 70 years old, you know, you can't hardly move because you haven't been stretching your body the whole time. Mm-hmm. And now look at like um, Jeff Goldblum, who's been doing it for, you know, decades and like he's still just as limber as he was back when he was, you know, in Jurassic Park or the fly or something, you right. know what I mean? And so I was like, yeah, I want to be like that. I want to <laughs> be like Tom Cruise, be just ancient, but still, you know what I mean? Feel like I'm young, jumping out of airplanes and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Go to space. Let's fact, do it. Like little tiny tangent. Yoga is probably the best thing to do for anybody for fitness is because it's body weight. Anybody can do it. Um, you can deal super with low impact, too. super low mm-hmm. impact. You can deal with any kind of modifications. So if you have orthopedic issues, um, it, it serves everybody and it serves everybody in so many different capacities. And so I think that's like the gateway drug to, yeah. <laughs> to really getting into fitness and nutrition and all that. Yeah. But I'm biased. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So with this book coming out, um, I'm getting the first half of next year. Is that what we're, we're still looking uh-huh. at? Okay. So being published in the beginning of next year, which means it'd be great for people to go ahead. And the ones that are making uh, New Year's resolutions, let's say, and so they want to get into a healthier lifestyle. I know COVID's put people in a place to where they're forced to be at home and like they're finding new hobbies. They're finding new uh, outlets, uh, you know, to to expend energy, you know, uh, because they're not out to be able to go out into their favorite restaurants or go hang out with friends or whatever because it keeps us, you know, socially apart. Um, for those people that are, that have been at home and haven't all that extra time to think about how to be healthier, how to be, you know, better with themselves and they're setting goals. Um, what would you say were some good things to go ahead and set in place? Like right now at the end of 2020, going into 2021, what are some great things that people should be putting, putting in place that they didn't think about before? 
Yeah, so that's that's a good question. And I think fitness-related, especially because, I mean, not only Arkansas, but worldwide, a lot of gyms have experienced closures. People can't go to gyms or they're uncomfortable with going to gyms. Um, is setting up some kind of fitness routine in your house. Uh, and that can be anything you want. I mean, YouTube is a crazy resource. You can do anything on YouTube. Hour-long workout right. videos. Pop Sugar is yeah, one of them. Pop Sugar is you great. Can do you, love it. you can do HIT. You can yeah. do all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. Beachbody is another one. If you exactly. want to just pay for a three-month subscription, it's like $35. I don't work for right. Beachbody. You can sponsor me, though, because I do use your program. <laughs> <laughs> But we it's really good. Felicia. I mean, you right. can sit there and have all these videos at your disposal that you didn't ever have before. And, you know, back in the day, you used to have to spend like, oh, $99 to get this program. It was just one. But now you have access to every single one of their programs, yep. you know. Yeah. And so you have 30. I have to tell myself this. I think we've talked about this a few times on this podcast where, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym Yes, I do, because I had 30 minutes to scroll through social media, uh-huh. 30 minutes to sit on the couch and think about the 30 minutes that I needed to go to the gym. And yeah. so you have time to, you know, get on YouTube, like you said, something free, or if you have the budget to be able to do something like Beachbody on oh, yeah. Demand mm-hmm. um, or other programs like that, like you have the ability to be able to work out or just get outside with your kids. That's something that we've been trying to do yeah. now that the weather has cooled off is just going for walks at night. And so that's been... Super yeah. nice to do that too, just getting out and moving your body. Yeah, and I think you said so many things um, that I'd love to talk on. So, yeah, this COVID season I think is a blessing for so many people because it's expanded the fitness world so many ways. Mm-hmm. I know I know at Orange Theory we now have a YouTube show mm-hmm. yeah. where they do workouts online free. And you normally spend like 160 bucks a month for a membership, and now you can see an Orange Theory workout for free. And so the the media outlets now for fitness are crazy, and it's all as a result of COVID. And so you, the resource thing is not an issue. It's not a limiting factor. And yeah, you're right. Another thing is that the kids are home, the family is all home in one space. Um, in our exercise study, we have an exercise study, another one too, where we're going out to the community and we're trying to get women exercising in the community that... Um, are going to become pregnant, they're going through IVF and also other pregnant women. And we have to discuss facilitators and barriers. And just like you were saying, a lot of them say that their kids are their barrier. They don't know what to do with their kids. And I'm like, how much energy are they able to outlet per day? And you can do that together. So we have a lot of women that, like you said, will walk with their kids or when their kids are playing on the playground, they'll do laps around the kids and lunges and things like that. So they're not only getting in their fitness routine, their kids are outletting their energy and they're also doing it together. So kids are able to see mom doing what she should be doing and reflecting the fact that this is normal for our family, um, health and fitness. So... Um, I can't even remember your original question now. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some things? Yeah. What you did for fitness was, but Mm -hmm. we live in a day and age where we have access to like every bit of information you can possibly think of information overload. And a lot of it is like what I would call it bro science. Mm -hmm. Someone worked for somebody. So we're just going to say that this is, you know, what everybody should do. If you had someone who maybe they don't have the healthiest lifestyle or like, I don't know how many calories to eat. Should I be counting macros? Should I just be counting my calories? Like, should I be on a keto diet? Should I be, you know, eating paleo or Whole30 or whatever? You know, that's a lot of... Sometimes people just 
want you to tell them, like, what do I need so to do? How do I figure this out? Like, how do I like, stand through eat, all of this advice? Yeah. And be healthy, but where do I, like, how do I know what's right and what's wrong? Right. Yeah, and so that's, I, I love that question, and they're so multifaceted. The thing is, is, like you're saying, we do live in a day and age where there's, you know, there's a free media outlet output. Mm-hmm. So you can just, you don't, <laughs> we always say in the nutrition world, because it's funny, uh, that everybody is a professional, but we always say like, if you eat a cheeseburger, you're a, prof- a nutrition professional. It's because it doesn't matter um, like what credentials you have, what experience you have. You can just put whatever kind of knowledge you want out there. And I think a lot of the fitness world started with bodybuilding.com and now they cleaned up their act mm-hmm. a whole lot, which is great. Actually, one of one of my good friends was on um, like basically like the committee that cleaned up a lot of their information and now it's really good, reliable information. Um, but yeah, we live in a world where you are exposed to all this stuff. And what I always say, especially as a researcher, is I think that you need to scrutinize every single thing that you see. And so if you're looking, let's say, as a family to adopt some kind of diet, like you said, the keto diet, things like that, uh, whatever you look up online, we have a tendency as humans just to believe that it's true where you need to be able to, as a human and as an advocate for your family, scrutinize what they're saying and go back to the source and say, do they even have a source? Is that source correct? And in addition to that, I always refer to the professionals. So if you're having a confusing time with the information that you're getting online, go to your doctor or go to a dietitian. And even with them, you should scrutinize what what they're the information that they're giving you. We have such a tendency just to believe the credentials behind people's names mm-hmm. and we don't do our own research. Yeah. And so what I would encourage is to do your own research. Don't just get lazy minded. Um, you're as a parent, let's just say we're a parent advocating for your family. And so if a doctor is giving me a drug, I'm going to make sure that that drug is actually effective. I'm going to look into the side side effects because I'm not going to give it to my kid if I know that it could potentially kill them. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing with diet and exercise. We got to find out what works and what's really shown to work in the research and then apply that to our family. Sure. Yeah. And with all the information that is out there, like you said, anybody can go <laughs> online and post their own things. What I've found you know, recently, just looking through different recipes and uh, workout, you know, uh, workout pages, I guess, in general. A lot of them slip in, a lot of misinformation, and it's because they're trying to sell you something that's Mm -hmm. part of like an MLM, you know what I mean, of Mm -hmm. like a a drink that makes you lose weight or these chewables at night. These are going to make you, you know, of course, sleep better and then they'll make you lose weight and all this. So, I mean, how do you feel about a lot of the the businesses that are out there that are trying to sell a a cure-all type of, uh, I guess, nutritional drink or powder Mm -hmm. and that stuff? Is is that actually, is it good for us to be doing? Is is it going to give us the results that we're looking for? Or are there there better ways to get that nutrition? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So, so much to talk about. But in general, so I, in my PhD too, I did a lot of supplement research. And these are mostly um, dietary supplements like you would be taking if you were Mm -hmm. looking to improve health. Yeah, conjugated linoleic acids. Yeah, that's one of them. Definitely a lot of hype about that, but not supported. Yeah. So um, those supplements aren't FDA regulated, which means that you can basically you can put anything on the label and it doesn't matter because like you can say, oh, this improves your testosterone levels, but there's zero research to support that. So yeah, you can put anything you want on the label. It goes unregulated. Uh, unless you say that 
this is this has been associated with like an improvement in coronary health disease or something like that mm-hmm. because then that has to be substantiated by the literature and because it has to pass through the FDA but those mostly the dietary supplements that you would see in like a sports store mm-hmm. or something aren't regulated and so like I said before you have to be able to do your own research and the cool thing about the internet and all those resources is that research is at your fingertips you just have to know how to look for it you have to go to good sources and not just any kind of dot-com sources you have to go to places like PubMed places that are going to actually publish real research mm-hmm. and be able to look at that research. And the other thing I sort of get frustrated unrightfully is that I, I forget that not everybody is a scientist because when you do find those articles, you have to also know how to read the article. And um, a lot of abstract warriors, I, I prefer actually being an abstract warrior where you just read the synopsis of it, but it'll give you the information right there. So if you're yeah. looking for, for a supplement that's supposed to improve your testosterone, let's say, and you find a study, you have to make sure that it says it. You have to also make sure that it's in the right population. Sometimes it's in rats, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, scrutinize everything oh, wow. that you see. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And it is. It's wow. to make money. And it's yeah. a very good industry. It's it such a good industry. It's a multi-billion oh, yeah. dollar industry. They've done well in marketing and advertising. Absolutely. We actually did a... <laughs> This is also nerding out completely. We also did a, a review of pre-workout supplements. Pre-workouts are stuff that you take before a workout, of course. And sure. there's a lot of um, things that they're supposed to do. They're supposed to like improve your blood flow, deliver things that will help you improve. Nitric oxide. Anabolic hormones. hormones. Nitric oxide. Yes, all the nice to help you get that burn and tingle in your oh, muscles. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so we did a review. This was in like 2017 of the top 50 pre-workout supplements. And we went through and all the supplement labels, we listed out every single ingredient that we saw in those supplement labels. And then when and if they reported how much of that supplement was in each of those respective supplements, how much of that ingredient was in those respective supplements. And then we went into the literature and we said, do each of these supplements, are they substantiated in the literature for what they say that they're going to improve? And what we found was that like 95% of those ingredients weren't. And even more, if the ingredients were supposed to improve those outcomes, the dose that you were getting within that was not near what you were going to get. Yeah. And we, we say in the supplement world that the, it's like the powerful four, the, the guaranteed four it's caffeine, beta alanine, creatine and BCAs, branched-chain amino acids. So there's a very minimal pull with what's actually going to be effective in supplements, but you don't get that because you get the sales guy that tells you that you need to buy this, this supplement. Right. Yeah. So scrutinize everything. Yeah. Yeah, with my pre-workouts, we looked at that because you can go to GNC or Walmart or anything, and there's just a shelf full of all oh, yeah. of them. And so we started just doing creatine on its own. That's um, it. And then if we did BCAAs, um, we would just use them on their own, like their own brand that it was just branched chain amino acids that they have in there. It was just a creatine powder, and then you mm-hmm. created like your own concoction. And then for caffeine, like in the morning times, I would just take like a double shot of espresso. That's all you need. And that's really all that I need. Just in make the a stiff cup of going. coffee and you're ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There was no point, because there were a lot of times where I'd take it, and I, my fingers would tingle so, like, my whole body would just tingle. and But I would have, like, the worst crash you could possibly ever imagine afterwards. Uh-huh. And I was like, this is awful. But I feel a little bit of energy when I drink espresso, so why don't I just do a double shot of espresso on an empty stomach? I'll go do my, you know, my hit workout or my cardio <laughs> in the morning time, and I was fine. Get real crazy. So, I, don't, yeah. I think that sometimes people just 
well, this person's doing it and look at their body, you know, so it must be working for them. But they don't realize that they put hours and hours and hours. Like if you just looked at The Rock, right? Like I think that I've watched a YouTube videos and documentaries on him. Like he works out like hours upon hours upon hours a day. Right. He eats thousands and thousands and thousands of calories. You could look at him and be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the gym and lift for an hour and a half and I'm going to, you know, eat these meals and take all this stuff and I'm going to look like that. No, you're not going to look like yeah. that because he trains. That's his whole life. Like his yeah. Well, and so, yeah. And he's supported by other yes, things, things that help. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all has the, the like, time you know, and money for professional trainers, oh, yeah. you know, professional nutritionists and a cook and someone to kind of plan out our meals and our nutrition and our workout regimens and our like, and just, and kind of hold us accountable and like we're just going to do that all the spend a lot of time focusing on that sure we could all you know look great but we most we don't have most people don't have the time or money to do any of that Mm -hmm. and i think that's another place where i think trainers have really um having like personal trainers and coaches have really hit off i guess or taken off is i think there's so much information that people are confused and so I will go pay the money for someone to just tell me what to do because I can't figure it out on my own. Um, but I like what you said, how just because you have a personal trainer doesn't mean that they have any idea what they're talking about in terms of nutrition. Mm-hmm. Right. And they could take just a class that certifies them, you know, and a specific type of nutrition that they can offer. And they're giving you a 1,200-calorie diet and that everybody gets the same diet, mm-hmm. you know, and you just eat whatever you want, eat this egg and protein shake or this tuna sandwich and <laughs> a salad or something and hit 1,200 calories and you're good to go. But nutrition and fitness is not cookie cutter. Like, it's not what works for you may not work for me and what works for me may not work for Whitney. Yeah. Um, but it gets confusing, you know, to even <clears throat> sit there and say, like, what should what should you do to suffer through all, the, all of this information? And some people are just like, I just can't. There's so much information, and there are some studies that are by good studies by the Institute of Health that have, you know, a, an outcome or result that shows what they're looking for, and then the same study by somebody else can show, can support mm-hmm. their size, and then they contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, well, well which one is it? Because I did my research, but now I'm even more confused because which one's right and which one's wrong. Yeah. And so I think that that's where personal training has really picked up a lot because people are like, I don't know. You're supposed to be the professional, so just tell me. Yep. Yeah, no, and you mentioned a good thing there, too, because research, it is. it is. And if you're looking into one thing, it's like one paper says this, and the other paper completely refutes it, and that's all research, yeah. basically. Um, but especially in the exercise and nutrition world, it's like you said also, is that it's not a one-size-fits-all thing, and you do have to do a little bit of troubleshooting with what works for my body. Um, like me, I'm, I'm, I'm like pushing 190 pounds. You're going to cut that one out. But I also... <laughs> I also, my body works better with weight training and I am strong and I know that and I can sprint and long distance stuff just doesn't work for me. Endurance type of stuff just doesn't work for me. And so I know that my body takes better to it. And genetically speaking, I'm the same way too. I mean, I look at my parents, my dad was a really good athlete. My mom was a cheerleader. wasn't really an athlete, but, (laughs) but it's, it's in your family and, um, in fact, just a little aside, we have a mouse study coming up where we genetically engineered rats, it's rats, to be more likely to either run on a wheel or be sedentary. So literally they're hardwired for one behavior or the other. Huh. And humans are the same. So you can in utero program your child to desire to work out more or desire not to. We have a human study also that's looking at um 
obese parents and how that affects the the ability or the desire for their child at like five to seven years old to be physically active. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and I don't remember where I go, go on so many tangents. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, Before we yeah. started the podcast, uh, Felicia was saying she had a, I guess a question about, you know, getting your kids to be active. Well, right? you know, I guess mental health is a big thing. Um, I have said this many times that I've struggled with an eating disorder since I was a little kid. And so now that I have a little girl, I don't want to model behaviors that I maybe saw growing up that led me into having that mindset of I have to look a particular way in order to get that, you know, I'm going to try these different avenues. And so how do you go about maybe if you have a child who's overweight, you know, you say, you hear people say, don't tell them you're going on a diet. You're just, you know, changing, you're just having a new lifestyle and don't tell them that they need to step on the scale, you know, like, but at the same time, you need to know if your child weighs 200 pounds, you know, are you losing weight, not just by your clothes, but are we sitting at a good healthy number. I don't like BMI. I don't really, I don't like that kind of thing. It's hard because I'm I'm someone could tell you that you're like obese, but you're not, you look fantastic. Right. But if someone just looked at your height and your weight, they'd be like, well, this girl's got, you know, a 40% BMI. And so she's super obese and needs to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you, how do you tell your kids that may truly be obese or overweight? And I'm sure that they know it and they feel it like they feel like this isn't, I maybe don't look like other kids my age, you know, like I'm, I can't run without getting winded or I can't, you know, wear clothes that I wish that I could wear. Um, how do you tell them like we need to adopt new lifestyle changes without making them feel like, I don't know, I guess just telling your kids like you're fat and you need to lose weight, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you, yeah. how do you go you about You don't want to give your kid a, a complex, right? Because right. yeah. that's the whole thing. You don't want to turn your daughter into haters, son, but... And men have eating disorders too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, particularly for women, because that's always been kind of a big thing. Like, how do you, how would you tell your daughter like, hey, you know, I think that we need to try new things or we need to maybe not eat so much, you know, like they're just, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I want something to eat. And how do you tell your children like, you are, you are getting too big and you can't have that the, that bag of Cheetos or you can't have that candy without telling them, like, you're fat and you can't have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you said it in the beginning of your question. It's all about modeling. So what you do, the kids are going to be more likely to do. And how you approach the subject, kids are going to receive that when they when they see it so if you're talking about those behaviors like you're dreading it like i don't want to go to the gym i don't feel like working out i don't want to eat this carrot or whatever it is then they're going to more likely take on those characteristics too and so the the conversation first needs to be modeled by you so it's if it is an overweight situation i first off let me say i'm not a parent so i have no idea but in the context of the family unit and the research that I've done and that we see is that you have to approach it together and this has to be a we situation. So we're going to make these changes and explain to them the why too. And it's a perfect segue for the book too, because that explains mm-hmm. like how we're supposed to do this together and what it should look like because you're doing these practical applications where you're teaching them how much they should be eating, what they should be eating, and then we're spooning it out together, for instance. Like, this is what it should actually look like. We're cooking together, and this is what it actually should look like. We're working out together. We're, you know, being physically active together, and this is what it should look like. So it has to be a we conversation so that they understand that this is actually the normal. And the the hope is that the family unit can change, but it's also that when you do release them into the wild, like in school situations, Mm -hmm. that they've seen that in the family situation so often that they actually 
they actually scrutinize the other behaviors when they're in those situations. Like, is this what other people are doing? I'm glad I'm doing it this way type of thing. So um, I think that's probably the easiest answer is that it does have to be a we. So what you're telling me is no more can I be like, ugh. No. I don't want to go to the gym. I have to tell it in my head and be like, okay, let's go to the gym, children. We're so excited. (laughs) We are juiced Go to the gym. I am so excited about this carrot. Can you believe that we're about to have (laughs) a delicious thing? (laughs) Have a carrot on my mind all day. Yes, I'm thinking about you all day long. I think some of it is like not even as just like, it's just kind of like, hey, you want to go take the puppies for a walk? Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just... Not even making that big of a deal of it, and just go, hey, let's get really nice outside. We were talking about that. Or I have competitive kids, so sometimes yeah. I'll be like, hey, race. I bet your brother can do more squats than you can. Uh-huh. And I'll be like, oh, you want to watch? And I'm like, yeah, let's do this together. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> let's we're all dying together. together, okay? I'm right. glad that yeah. y'all yeah. are dying along with me Split. in the squats. Well, and I do Gonna think that also, I think this, you know, this Bible study is coming out at a great time because, because of COVID, and there's a lot of parents that are at home and they're at home with their kids mm-hmm. because you know, they're homeschooling or doing virtual schooling right now. And I think this, you know, this could be an excellent opportunity to incorporate some extra um, education on health and nutrition and fitness into, you can almost like kind of make it like a part of the education, you know, and even if your kids aren't homeschooled, like you can still build that in. Like we're learning about, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning with you. I'm learning more about how to eat healthy too. And let's fuel our bodies and make ourselves feel really good. Um, but if you're doing virtual school and you need to be doing kind of some health education anyway. Well, they have nutrition and, courses in home ec. Yeah. And that's a good way to segue into that. And so I think that yep. that could be a great, this could be a great supplement for whether you're doing homeschool or not. and be a great supplement to their, you know, health and nutrition and physical education that they're getting through the school system. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that too, because from my understanding, a lot of schools are actually eliminating those things. So PE is almost non-existent and the nutrition that they're getting, if they're getting any is non-existent. And so it it does has to be from the family unit. I mean, if it's not in the school where they're spending most of their day, it's gotta be Mm -hmm. in the family unit. So I think you're right. Yeah. We've got a client who does virtual um, group fitness classes and she's trying to actually getting into some of the schools in Little Rock with her classes. And so whether the kids are doing virtual school, they can log in and do the virtual fitness. Or if they're in school, um, she'll teach from, like, they'll be, like, in the gym all spread out, and she's teaching from the computer. Oh, I love that. So um, whether, wherever they are, and they still get to interact with each other, even if they're at home, because uh-huh. it's a group fitness, but it's just virtual. And so yeah. I think that's a really cool concept, and, I, you know, I hope that other schools are implementing that because a lot of the after-school programs are getting eliminated. Mm-hmm. Some of the PE programs are getting eliminated. If your kid is at home, you know, there was – I saw a whole conversation about, you know, um, you know, their kid's PE teacher, like, was wanting them to, like, do videos of them, like, doing squats or something, and they're like, I don't really feel comfortable doing – like, having, like, a video of my kid doing these things or whatever. But it's like there's kids that – if you're doing virtual school or homeschool, like what is the PE situation right. look like? So as parents, I think it's, you know, we need to be during this time, especially conscious of, you know, my kid, I will say that be the first one to say that during this whole, like all summer during COVID, she was not as active as she normally is because mm-hmm. we're not doing much. We're at the, the house and, you know, then we know we're not going out as much. And so I think that it is important now as parents to really be conscious of, 
the behaviors we're modeling and kind of what we're teaching our kids and kind of helping them make sure they stay active. Yeah, absolutely. And what I, I thought of this one thing when you were talking to, I have this conversation often and I would like to get your input being parents is uh, I have this conversation because it goes along with our society today being so tech savvy and obsessed with our phones is that the, I feel like the perpetuation of this more sedentary childhood is uh, partly driven by electronics, not only on the kids' end, but also on the parents' end, because parent is so obsessed with their phone, is so obsessed with their computer, their tablet, whatever it is, that we've lost the art of play. Mm-hmm. And so mom or dad can't put their phone down, and they're at the park, and they're just on their phone while their kid is playing, and they're just not involved in that. And I, I said it's my my I said it's my sister's last because we were at the beach not here not long ago. And I was playing with my niece and we were just having a good time, like running on the beach. And I brought up the conversation because I was like, y'all put your phones down. Like we're here as a family. And I didn't even think they realized it. They recognized they were doing it. Um, but we've, like I said, we lost the art of play. And if we're trying to promote that behavior, I think we have to be able to do it with the kids and get off. And I think devices. a lot of times with fitness with kids, it's just playing. You know, it it's is. getting out to the park and playing frisbee or playing soccer or just running around on the playground. And it doesn't have to be like with the fitness aspect with kids doesn't always have to be as regimented and structured and hardcore as we try to it's do it as adults. Just like going and playing. It's just making edge, it fun. Just getting football, something yeah. with your kids. So yeah, I completely agree with you one hundred percent. And I'm definitely one of those parents who I've had to be like, okay, you've sat on your telephone for way too long, like. You are, you're mimicking. These children are seeing you, and whether it be work or what, and a lot of it is work a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sitting here sending text messages back and forth, or I'm emailing, or I'm doing something, and so my kids are like, let's play. And I'm like, okay, i got to send one more email, blah, 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 and then that turns into 45 minutes to an hour, and what are they doing? They're playing on their telephones just waiting right. for us to go yeah. do something. And so I, I can, for at least my family, say that I think that probably a good majority of people that – not only were we already seeing an incline in obesity, both in children and in adults in general um, in the U.S., and I think just maybe worldwide, but I do think that technology has really kicked off because you see two-year-olds who know how to play on telephones. Right. Like, they know how to turn a phone on. You could tell them what the password is, and they could do the password and turn their phone on and look through a telephone and know how to use a phone at two, three years old. And so I do think that technology has maybe been both a – a blessing and also like a demise in some ways to you know life that a better life which would be more quality time with your kids and not mm-hmm. putting them in front of a phone um and i think i don't know i think yeah it's, it's i think tough. you like poked me yeah. a little bit but i really think because so, and this sort of goes back just to behaviors in general um is that I think we have to get into this mindset of compartmentalization because what you said when you're on your phone, you're like doing a lot of work stuff. So if that is in my eight hours of work, I'm going to do it then. But anytime outside of that, we have to be able to compartmentalize and say, now this is family time or this is some other time. And that helps us keep 
everything segmented in our mind where it should be and where it shouldn't be. And that allows us to get back to the art of play. If our kid wants to go kick around a soccer ball, we're going to do that and hopefully not get hurt and, yeah. <laughs> you know, be active with Well, them. and remind, especially for, you know, this is obviously a business podcast, so a lot of the people who listen own businesses and maybe you're trying to balance work and life. And I know I struggle with this because we don't necessarily have like office hours, I don't think, like set on our website. Like it doesn't say like we're here from 8 to 5. So sometimes people will just call or I have allowed them to call later and later and every day even on the weekends and like having to tell someone that I'm not going to be available to you tomorrow uh-huh. it's kind of scary because you're like well are they going to have a freak out meltdown you know like something going to happen you know as a business owner I guess you always want to be available to them because you don't know like if something goes wrong and you're not available could I lose that client and so um, yeah. that's always a big fear of mine. So I tend to always make myself available when I have to remind myself, like, I have a life outside of here and I'm allowed to have a life. And mm-hmm. if you can't respect me having a life outside of here, then you're probably not the client I want anyways. Right. And so I've had to tell myself that, like, I have got to unplug. Like, if my hours are 8 to 5, like, I'm not calling my doctor at 5.30 and expecting him to answer the telephone. And I'm not expecting him to answer exactly. the telephone on Saturday and Sunday either. And I'm not expecting, you know, the lawyer or whatever else, you know, I'm not expecting these professionals to answer their phone after five o'clock. So why can I not establish boundaries for myself mm-hmm. that people yeah. can say that they have to respect as well? But also myself, because I think that it's more me answering the telephone. You know, maybe yeah. I should have a voicemail that says it is after five and I will contact you in the morning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's an emergency or whatever, then email me or something and, you know, whatever, you know, that's, that's at my discretion. But I do think that that's been a hard thing for me to juggle, um, you know, being a single mom and then having this business that we started is having like that work life balance. Yeah. And I think that's especially for women. It's hard because we want to do so many things and balance so many things. But I this past year started that compartmentalization where it was like I'm working during my specified hours, not only because it's going to keep me sane and I can have my stuff on the outside or the outskirts, but also it. Um, increases productivity when I know that I can eliminate all those other external sources during that time when I'm actually supposed to be working. And like for me, I've dedicated my morning, sometimes even up to 10 a.m. for three things. So I work on um, my mind, do like some sort of meditation or stretching or something. And then my God, I always do Bible study and then my body. So I work out and that those hours in the morning are mine and nobody can encroach on that time and as long as i get those done everything else can fall into place work-wise and so that compartmentalization has increased my productivity so much but it also has just freed me from feeling like i need to do anything which is weird to say um because I think, again, as women, we have that mindset where it's like we have to do all these things and we need to be able to reach out to this person and do all that. So I'm like, I don't need to do anything. All I need to do is keep breathing. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the hours that I have to work are the hours that I'm going to work. Yeah. yeah. So. And I think that it's like, you know, I've tried really hard with boundaries, too, on, you know, working hours. But I've also had to realize that, hey, because I'm a business owner, I can be flexible in what I can define what those hours are. Because, you know, like a lot of times, you know, we're having to leave. We're not here till five because we're having to leave and go pick up kids from school and and deal with that. So, you know, but that doesn't mean that after I put her to bed that I'm not Mm -hmm. coming back and finishing my work day. 
So I get to define, and sometimes I work better in the evenings anyway. And now it's quiet, you know, kiddos in bed, and I can, you know, just kind of sit. That's when a lot of moms are most productive, actually, when their kids sleep. And I think working moms get really used to, I mean, there's a lot of moms I know who work from home, and they're, like, working during the kids' nap times and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, you know, you, like, if you can, like, you can define, like, if you have that flexibility, just know that it's okay to define that however it works for you and your family. Oh, yeah. And um, the other thing with the with boundaries that I've I try to gotten where I'm trying to set expectations, like, like, these are my normal hours, and, yeah, you may hear from me off hours because I may be working on a night or a weekend, but you don't have, an, like, in, you know, feel free to contact me anytime, send me a text or email anytime, but these are my normal hours, so if you contact me outside of those hours I'm not necessarily going to respond until the next day Mm -hmm. so you know and I may be working one evening I may get to you that evening if I'm you know sitting there working but it's there's not an expectation of that and also Google if you're in Gmail using G Suite or Google there's like a delay send function yes so you can you can write an email and you cannot have it you can schedule to send the next morning at like eight o'clock or whatever <laughs> so it doesn't actually people don't actually know that you're sending emails overnight <clears throat> and although like our attorney on staff Dave Pope likes to say is sometimes he likes to send eleven thirty emails so that it makes you know the client know like hey i'm working hard i'm taking care of your stuff so i do think that, that there's a balance yeah, there is i like what you said about like my job is to just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not taking care of yourself, I think that fitness, I notice a huge difference when I don't work out consistently. Mm-hmm. My mental health is like in the trash. Mm-hmm. And when I don't eat like I should and I'm just eating trash and like Oreos or like Cheetos or whatever else, you know, just nothing good, then I don't have the energy and just not even in a good headspace. And when I balance all those things and I'm active in some way and I'm eating better, I perform better not only at work, but also for my kids. Like, I'm actually able to be present and be more mindful and not just so sluggish and just tired and whatever else. So I do think that that's a really important – we forget that, like, we are just as important as everything else in our lives, that we are. Mm -hmm. I, as a person, am just as important as everybody else, and I shouldn't be putting myself on the back burner. No, you're right. And I think – yeah, I talk about this a little bit in my book, but we were literally, I mean, our bodies are, it's basically a ball of muscle and muscles main responsibility is to contract and relax. And so we have this innate drive and we should have this innate drive just to move. So like sort of what like you were saying before, it doesn't have to be structured exercise. It can be physical activity, but we have to make sure that we're able to balance movement and good nutrition because we're literally composed of stuff that is is supposed to support those habits and if we don't get that then our body works as a full system and we see those negative effects where like you're saying mental health can suffer i mean this is like runner's high i mean i don't like to run long distance if y'all are seeing me running y'all better be running too Mm -hmm. because there's nothing good behind Uh, me (laughs) i can do the sprinting but like long distance and stuff i'm just not for it but i have heard people say like I just feel fantastic after this run, and I feel that way when I lift. I'm very much like you. I like to do short bursts. We run bleachers sometimes together, and we'll do sprints. But I love being in the gym and lifting weights. And so I feel like that sort of high. I can have a horrible day and just have so much in my head and go and have a weightlifting session, and it's kind of like almost like I went to therapy. Right. And it just kind of, I don't know if it just released, you know, endorphins, you know, that I increased and I just feel better or whatever. But, I mean, I definitely can tell 
a difference when I'm in the gym consistently as opposed to not because of whatever reason, and especially my eating. I mean, I just get so sluggish, but I can tell a difference within a week or two if I'm adding in more greens and more lean meats and, like, healthy fats and not having as many maple cream Oreos. <laughs> so good. I those before, but I just Listen, discovered it's 80-20. Them. You can get 20%. Yes, and so that's what I tell myself. Like, as long as I balance it, like, I guess I like the IIFYM, you know, if it fits your macros, then eat it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I still feel like you could still fit Pop-Tarts and Oreos and eat that all the time with a protein shake and hit your macros. And so it's not really, you know, I know that there has to be like a balance and stuff, but I still tell myself that I significantly, I feel better significantly more when I eat this way as opposed to this other way. And I know that eating junk food is convenient, but long term, I know that I hate it because then I have to like restart all over again. Mm-hmm. And we've talked the about biggest, that. Yeah. Like the biggest thing back for me that helps me is not keeping the junk food regularly. You know, if we don't keep sodas in the house, like if we have a soda, we may go out and get a soda and, or we may, if you know, if we're having friends over or something, we may, you know, grab a two liter, but we don't like keep sodas at the house, you know, and I don't keep like a bunch of, like the main snack food we keep is goldfish, which I don't eat anyway, but my daughter does in copious amounts, but yeah, you know, kid snack. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but you know, I'm trying not to keep a lot of junk food at the house. I'm, you know, I'm trying not to keep a lot of sweets at the house. You know, that has sometimes led to us like baking cookies at 10 o'clock when we're really just having a craving, <laughs> but you know, we're trying not to keep some of that stuff at the house. And that way, you know, it, eliminates the like urge because if it's there I'm just gonna oh, eat it sure. oh, and yeah. that way it becomes more of a special a special thing but I think that's one of the biggest thing that's helped me is just get out of the habit of keeping it around mm-hmm. like, if it's not there it's not gonna tempt you yeah, yeah. no you're exactly right food is addicting I mean food it's, is addicting. I would say people who have food addictions it's probably harder than alcohol and drugs because you don't need alcohol to survive and you, you don't have need to crack eat. cocaine yeah. either so <laughs> you know not a big deal to not have that but when you have a food addiction of any sort I yeah. mean that's you have to eat food to survive and so it's hard to be able to have that. There will be times where, like I said, those maple cream Oreos do it every time. Uh-huh. And I'll have this meal that I've prepped. You know, like I have all my meals prepped for, you know, three or four days. And I've got everything. Like I'm going, it's going well. But it's been a rough day at work or whatever. And I'm definitely someone who's like an emotional eater. I wish I could be the kind that was like, I just get so stressed out. I can't eat food. And I'm like, I'm so stressed out. Where are those maple right. cream Oreos? I don't understand those people either. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm instead of eating that meal, I'm like, well, there's a package of Oreos. I'm going to go eat those instead. But if they're not there, I have to get into the car, go to the grocery store. And then I'm like, it's just not even worth it. I'll just yeah. eat that. Right. And we talked Carrot. about programming. <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead. Listen, there's it. ways to, to spice <laughs> up that carrot. I think I know. Honey glazed, roasted. Oh, girl. Yeah. But programming, we talked about programming before. It that starts way back when. I mean, we talked about before this that so I can blame my mother for this. You can blame your grandma for this. Thank yes. you, grandma. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> so. Grandma has mom in her belly when she's pregnant. Mom in grandma's belly has you in the form of an egg that's already developing in her ovary. So three generations are impacted by grandma. Wow. Her generation, mom's generation, baby's generation. And this goes from physiology where we're seeing that metabolism like fat oxidation or fat burn and all those things are affected to body composition where we're seeing babies born to overweight and obese moms are more likely to develop obesity or be born small for gestational age or large Mm -hmm. for gestational age. It can go either way. 
Um, and then also behaviors. So mom that um, has a habit of binging things like Oreos and all that. I'm thinking of every Oreo. I, right. Pregnant, I'm <laughs> soft like, pretzels. Oh, no. oh, oh my God. God. You could <laughs> keep soft pretzels. Girl. I can't. Oh, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. I, yes. I did. A, like, I had to make beer cheese. I was like, y'all. Oh, yeah. I had to make <laughs> soft. When I was pregnant, I had to like home. I needed homemade soft pretzels. And I was like getting out so that KitchenAid. They're so uh-huh. good. Miss, so is it good. Annie's? Annie's pretzels? Annie, Annie. Oh my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find any when I was pregnant, so I made them. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I was that determined. I had to have Six a pretzel. pretzel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, you, yeah. you program your kids' behavior. So when they when they pop out, they're more likely and to, to eat those foods, but they also have a drive to eat those foods. So they're more likely to eat sugary foods and all that. Um and in fact, we have a, a study going on now too. It's just all a huge cycle. We have a study going on where mom obesity is related to kids' metabolism. But what we're seeing is that the kids' metabolism is also impacted by mom, uh, the, the breast milk composition. So if mom after birth continues in bad dietary habits, doesn't really isn't really active, her milk is going to reflect that. So she's going to have higher long chain fatty acids that are more difficult to metabolize for the baby. And so um, they're going to be preferentially stored as fat. And that's where we see this whole cyclical pattern of obesity because every step of the way is affected. And so we have to intervene as early on as we can so that we can stop this generational cycle of obesity. Yeah. That's awesome. It's crazy. Well, that's good information, especially for women who are expecting to get pregnant Mm -hmm. or wanting to get pregnant Uh that, you know, you don't hear that people don't, your doctor doesn't tell you like, Hey, I want you to know that those Twinkies and Oreos that you're eating, like, you know, you need to cut back on it because that's going to affect your child when they're eight, nine, 10 years old. Your child can thank you at 20 when they're crying about their weight. Yeah. That a lot of that came from you or like, why can't I, you know, why can't I naturally crave vegetables and things like that? Like you know, someone else. And so, and that may be because of your parents, because of what they chose to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's good information to have. And it's, it is so hard, especially like we were talking about the South before it's difficult in the situation that you're in. I I talk about my grandma, my grandma had my mom when she was like 14 or 15, but I'm like, she was probably sipping whiskey and smoking a pack a day. Like when she had my mom. And so I'm like, I'm doomed at that point. Like, yeah, it's crazy. But their environment is, influencing what they're doing so it's just all full circle you got to make sure all your boxes are checked and um yeah health behavior is difficult but i think it takes somebody to that is willing to check themselves and scan themselves in their heart and to be able to determine what they need to do for their family and if it's not for themselves or for the, their family it's for themselves so they can impact their family yeah and we've talked about breaking generational curses or generational you know negative mm-hmm. patterns that you may have and finally saying like i'm going to be the stopping point of this this oh, isn't yeah. going to continue any further this stops with me and i'm going to set our family and our generations to come on a different path than what we've done before mm-hmm. and that's hard you know because you've got a long legacy of maybe not so good things and you're being the one who in the midst of all of your family who's still doing all these things, saying that I'm going to choose a different path for myself. And there's a lot of resistance to that. Oh, yeah. Especially with food and stuff, you know. Even going back into the Bible, food was obviously associated with celebrations and things like that. I don't think that's anything new. Food has always been, if you go to a funeral, there's food. If you go to a wedding, there's food. If you come to a work meeting in here, sometimes there's food. Like, I mean, everything that we do is related to food, but I think it's always been like that. Mm-hmm. But I think that you have to remind yourself that food is... Food is fuel, 
-hmm. and that you still have to be able, I think that there's a good balance of being like, I can still go and have my kids, you know, cupcake at this birthday party, but that doesn't have to be in my life every single day. You know, that I've got to have things that sustain good health so that I can be 90 years old not sitting on 17 different medications because of the lifestyle choices that I made when I was 20 and 25 years old. Yeah. And that's my goal is I don't necessarily need to be like a size 2 or I don't need to be 125 pounds. I'd like to live to 90 and 95 and still being able to be active and traveling and not being on 15 different medicines and bed bound. Yeah. And that's my depiction of what good health is, Mm -hmm. that I'm not sitting here laid up in a chair because I can't do anything because my health is so bad. Yeah. Um, and it's it, a lot of it is choices that I made whenever I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, it's funny that you say that is because there, we are finding in the research that there, you can, you can like unprogram yourself. So there's this area of research called epigenetics, which is basically any lifestyle habit that you pick and you take on can change your genetics. Uh, and there's like methylation and all the stuff that's happening at the level of the gene or gene, the genome where um, you can af- affect how your body works. And it's more difficult for people, let's say, that have a, an issue with being overweight or obese, but you can do it and change your body. And the thing is that you have to be able to maintain those behaviors. So if you do it with exercise and nutrition, which is likely the case, you're going to have to be able to, to maintain that forever. But there is a way to flip the script and say that grandma, mom impacted me, but I'm able to change it. Literally change it at the genetic level. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I think we yeah. learned a lot and we had some really good discussions. And, yeah. Thanks for you know, I think um, everyone just needs to like... What, Wait with bated breath for that book to come out and that Bible study so they can get their themselves and their kiddos on, on a really good, healthy path. And we'll have links to all your your relevant sites and social media and anything like that that we can direct people to to get more resources. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was a really fun coming. conversation, yeah. for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad to have you.